Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. Welcome to Flip Your Lid podcast, everybody. I've got a special, special woman here today. Her name is Megan Chance. She's a writer, speaker, and former missionary who is passionate about empowering women, yay, and reclaiming feminism for the Christian faith. She's a 2010 graduate of the University of Colorado. She's the author of a forthcoming book, Women Rising, Learning to Listen, Reclaiming Our Voice, great title, and she's also the host of Faith and Feminism podcast. She has a hubby, his name is Dustin, and they both live in Northeast Georgia. So Megan, welcome to Flip Your Lid. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. So, you know, feminism is a huge part of my life and obviously my history, and you would think that's redundant as a woman to say it, but it's not, because it's not a part <laughs> Everyone's walk. But when I someone tagged me and put me in on your page that you do and, and that you host and help women have a safe place, and men too, to talk about faith and feminism, and it was just so great. My first thought was, I, I've been concerned about feeling like a second-class citizen as a woman since I was five years old. I've mm-hmm. asked questions since I was five, and ev- most people in my life have done everything they can to silence me. Mm-hmm. And so for you to have a podcast, have an upcoming book, have a, a very safe Facebook page for people, it just excited me. And I said, I got to see if I can learn a little bit more about her and help her teach other people in my audience, who's usually a bunch of neuro nerds and psychology people and all that. <laughs> also learn about feminism. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I can relate to a lot of what you said about being asked to be quiet since a young age. So yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So speaking of that, so tell me what life events, what experience, what flipped your lid, mm-hmm. and what measures do you have to take after that to reconnect to who God says you are. Yeah, I mean, I think. I grew up in the conservative evangelical church. I mean, I'm not um, super familiar with your audience or if they come from that context, but I certainly did. And I was raised to believe um, many harmful things about women. Um, Mm -hmm. The first being um, that my body was dangerous, um, that I needed to cover up, that I needed to uh, keep men from temptation. And so uh, as I grew older and was sexually assaulted, I Mm -hmm. thought it was my fault. Um, And I also uh, was a missionary who worked with exploited women, um, women who had been trafficked or widows or women or young girls who had survived rape and female genital mutilation. Mm. And um, yeah, so through working with them and my own experience growing up in the church, I started to have this realization that what was happening to me and what was happening to women around the world was um, a result of inequality and that I had been buying 
into lies about my worthiness, about um, what I was allowed to do as a woman. Something else I was taught was that I was basically only a um, only allowed to grow up to be a housewife and to serve my husband. I was told over and over again that I was put on earth to serve men around me, whether that be my father or my potential husband. And so I had this realization working with these women that they were told similar things and that ultimately uh, this is not what I felt God had intended for humanity. And um, so I started to, number one, uh, let their stories change me and examine the gender roles I had been taught. And number two, start to reclaim um, who I who I was meant to be as a woman. Um, so growing up, you talked about how you were told to be quiet. And that was obviously the case for me. I was told I, there were so many things I was told I couldn't do, teach, lead, preach. Mm-hmm. I couldn't play sports with the boys. And so um, part of me like reclaiming and coming back to who I was, was realizing actually I can be who I feel like I've been made to be. And um so I started using my voice. Um, I got a lot of pushback for that, but realized that from everything I had experienced, that using my voice was worth it. And so it eventually led me to start a podcast called Faith and Feminism and write a book about my experience about um, learning to reclaim my voice and what women around the world taught me and just how important it is that we examine the power dynamics that we have both in society the United States, around the world, and in a lot of religious contexts. Yeah, that was just so beautiful and so much in that. Like we could unpack just one (laughs) statement for 25 hours, you know, because it's so much about safety. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, we cannot connect unless we feel safe. And to be told the only that you're responsible for someone else's safety and not about your own Mm -hmm. safety. You know, just the pain of that and and to know that most of us have some history of sexual assault mm-hmm. and the victim blaming mm-hmm. that comes in. Yep. It's it's been it's been created from a young age. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, to believe that. Literally that's what you're taught. You're taught that if you don't dress in a certain way, then men aren't liable for their actions and you're right. gonna ca- and that's just that's rape culture, honestly. Um, but yeah, and I, I'm a survivor. I was, uh, sexually assaulted by a stranger when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, he just came up on the street and grabbed my chest and I thought it was my fault because, um, I, I guess I wasn't covered up enough. Um, which of course is not true. Right. Um, right. but there's, yeah. I mean, if you look at statistics just here in the United States, one in three women is sexually or physically assaulted. Um, so mm-hmm. it's obviously a huge issue that we have, um, both here in the United States, but also the world at large. So, yeah, absolutely, and that's and it's so much culture, and it's so ingrained that that women are really good at blaming, doing victim blaming towards other women. We're very mm-hmm. we're very quick to not believe someone's rape story or sexual right. assault story unless it is another country. Right. Right. Like we won't, right. if, it's, if it's close to home, we won't identify with it and that we have to understand that there's a victimization that's happened to us so we don't have to live the role of, of a victim. Mm-hmm. And I feel like your podcast is such a, 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 
a piece of that, right? It's an extension for people to hear different ways of looking at something that they were told by people it was convenient for to believe what they were believing. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what's what's been what's been the most surprising thing for you about the about doing the faith and feminism podcast when it comes to people's reaction? Um. Okay. I guess I've had a lot of uh, reaction. I'll start with the positive first. Um. I've okay. had a lot of people. I've actually had um. I had one man reach out to me who had been married for 10 years, was very complimentarian. And his wife started listening to my podcast and asked him just to start listening to it, not expecting it to change his mind. They had been married for 10 years. She had been talking to him about uh, these concepts that I talk about in my podcast for a long time, but he wasn't listening. And I don't, I probably, one of my experts, um, slowly, like, he was able to change his mind. And he sent me a message saying, uh, first apologizing and talking about how he made amends to his wife after 10 years of, basically, he admitted to abuse um, Mm. and how he's going to do better. But he wanted to let me know that my podcast was what God used to change his mind. And so that's a really encouraging story. I often get messages from women who feel like they're alone. Um, So again, if we're talking about the context a lot of um, my listeners grew up in, we were told not only not to speak up, but also not to trust ourselves. um, Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. anything that we were feeling um, or thinking or anything that questioned what men had told us, like we were told to keep that to ourselves and it was sinful and it was our flesh. And and so... um, I, you know, that's another thing I hear from women a lot is I don't, I've been so afraid to talk about this. Um, Mm. I've been told my whole life not to talk about this, but you're saying exactly what I need to hear. You're saying exactly what I've been thinking. And it feels so good to know that I'm not alone and that this is Mm. what Christianity can look like as well. Um, And so those are some really positive um, feedback. And I get those, I get those messages quite a lot, but of course I get really nasty messages too. I actually um, have faced a lot of opposition and continue to face a lot of opposition Mm. from people in the church. Um, Specifically, I've faced it from my own family members. I've had old friends tell me, reduce me to the liberal agenda and say that I'm going Mm. into hell Um, I still get message. I just got a message yesterday um, from an old friend uh, telling me that she thought that I had been led astray and that she's praying for my soul. And and a lot of times I just say, thank you. (laughs) Like, thank you for praying for me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Keep up the good work. Yeah. Because you're doing great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for your prayers. Right. Um, But there's other times where the attacks are a lot more malicious and I have to set up firm boundaries about, okay. And if it's a friendship and especially I find that it's more often friendships that I had in the past and we moved away or uh, we just kind of lost trust. It's, it's a lot of those old friends who are reaching out to me that are doing that. And so for me, it's just like, okay, 
it's not worth having this conversation with you. Um, And I set those firm boundaries. In fact, the person who reached out to me yesterday, I said, hey, if you really are interested in how I landed here, I wrote a book about it. Oh, that's a great response. (laughs) That's beautiful. I was like, I don't have um, hours to explain this to you, but this book does. And yeah, yeah, so it's, I won't lie, it's been really painful, especially when Mm -hmm. these attacks come from family. Mm -hmm. And I've had to talk to my therapist about setting really firm boundaries there. Um, And it's been hard, but at the end of the day, I feel like the opposition, whenever I face the opposition, I'm just reminded of why I speak up in the first place. And it's like, you were clearly illustrating why this needs to be talked about because of your reaction Mm -hmm. and your hurt just for me, merely asking for more equal rights for women or maybe respect when a survivor comes forward if this is your reaction to it this, you're proving the exact point of why this right. conversation is needed in the first place and mm-hmm. so I just keep falling back as is I mean so many people have talked about it Brene Brown talks about it all the time but so many mm-hmm. people have talked about remembering not your critics but who you who you're doing the work for and I just remember yeah. The women around the world. I remember me as a little girl. I, I think of my friends who also mm. um, were really damaged by this movement, and I find my voice again. Yeah, it's beautiful, and I know that you're the right person to do it. And I'll tell you part of why. Just the, sh- the small exchange we've had with each other through email. So I know because you know I teach the Enneagram, and so mm-hmm. I teach people don't guess someone's number, but I'm going to guess your number. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm going to break the right. rule. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to narrow it down to two because, okay. you know, I think to do this work, I think we have to have an aggressive stance. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of being the right person because, you know, we all can have our own ministry and how you, the lens you look through in the world can really kind of dictate how on front stage you need to be. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to be aggressive to do what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to guess you're either a three, seven, or eight. I'm going to narrow it down to three or eight. I am a seven wing eight. So okay. all right, all right, very all right. I'm close. close. I, all right, all right. People um, online obviously think I'm an eight because I'm an M and eight online. That's just all. <laughs> yeah, yes, right. You have like, to be. You have to take care of yeah, yourself. Yeah, exactly. But um, I'm actually a seven with a very strong eight wing. Okay. All I'd right. rather, you know, be traveling. <laughs> Oh, I got you. Okay. So again, yeah. this is why you shouldn't guess numbers, but we've had yeah. a short exchange and yeah. I can I can pick up on the aggressive stance, yes. which I welcome <laughs> and appreciate because that is really what it takes because that is mm-hmm. part of what we're taught. And so if someone's naturally not in aggressive stance, we're not telling right. you to be, but there's times of being healthy. Like we have to flow out of connection into fight mode. Mm-hmm. We have to be able to know when to when to leave a situation, when to stay and fight and when to get reconnected to self and family. And to, mm-hmm. it's, it's just part of being fluid. And so... Um, it's the minute you start speaking against an entire system that has worked for certain people, mm-hmm. opposition comes mm-hmm. because they are the ones oppressing. Mm-hmm. And if you're no longer oppressed, then they're not comfortable. Right. And you're mm-hmm. speaking very well and very clearly in many avenues of the changes that need to be happening for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very courageous. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you feel like you have a choice. I get the impression like you just know this is. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, I mean, I think that's really true because I've, there's obviously been days I want to quit. I get some really nasty messages. Yeah. Um, but 
at the same time, like I, I honestly don't know what else I would be doing. The things I've seen, the things that I've experienced, I, I can't, I can't not be doing right. anything else. And if right. we lived in a perfect world, I would just be, you know, hanging out and having fun, but we don't live in a perfect, perfect world. And I feel like I've been put on this planet to fight for the rights of women because women are treated so poorly mm-hmm. all around the world. And it's a lot to do with our gender roles, our gender scripts, and the power dynamics, which are in play of society. We live in a patriarchal world. And that's right. Um, yeah. And so I, I just want the thriving of all women. Yeah. I'm <laughs> all I mean, people. So, amen. But so much yeah. so that a lot of women don't know that. Right. You know, when I, when I was in graduate school and it was primarily women in that class and I would argue against certain things like, you know, I've told you for mm-hmm. like I have issue with language right. being male dominated. I have a hard mm-hmm. time hearing women say policemen because mm-hmm. this occupational segregation and we are adding to staying in the role where right. we can only do like 13 jobs right. out of 1,300, right? Mm-hmm. And that I was, I was just considered angry. Right. Like, like, no one else would go with me. And then the professor said, if everywhere I went, all I heard was women kind, saw signs saying woman at work, he said, I would I would probably feel left out, too. And then everyone calmed down because mm-hmm. a man said, mm-hmm. agreed with me. Right. Yeah. Uh, oftentimes, women aren't taken seriously enough. They have a man, like, repeat, repeat what they say. Um, yes. There's been... So I've, I've done a lot of traveling, and I mean, I think any woman, whether you're in the United States or wherever, can probably relate with an experience where a man was coming on too strong, uh, he was sexually harassing you, and you said, no, mm-hmm. you're not interested, and then just having them react with violence or completely ignore your no, um, I'm pretty sure probably every woman has had an, an experience like mm-hmm. that. maybe not every woman but very close right. and I have found I mean if you're just even in the proximity of a man like that is going to cut down way more um and so that's just another example of like a man's space is being respected and if you're just mm-hmm. in his space you're kind of viewed as his his quote-unquote property or his like under mm-hmm. his protection and so you'll notice that you'll get a lot less catcalls or harassment or all of these other things and it just shows that they respect other men but women are still not the ones being respected that's right and so it's unfortunate that a lot of women have to get validation from men when they say no and it Mm -hmm. or or they they're not heard um so it's unfortunate yeah it very much is and so it kind of goes into like what does it mean to be a woman Mm -hmm. and what responsibilities does, does it include um, I mean, I feel like that question is, again, I'm going to have to go back to our gender role scripts. We've been taught mm-hmm. what it means to be a woman. We've been taught what it means to be a man. And the scripts that we give men is to be powerful mm-hmm. um, and vulnerable. They're not allowed to express emotion. Unless they do, then they're called sissies or to man mm-hmm. up. Or, or even we can even see the misogyny and that the worst thing a man could be is a sissy, something feminine. Right. That's or right. like the, you know, other words that I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, where that is yes. the ultimate insult. And yes. it's not an insult, but so, or like you run like a girl. So we see again. Right. You that, throw like a girl. All exactly. That. Mm-hmm. So you, we, we set up masculinity as being the opposite of femininity, but there's so much misogyny towards femininity. 
Um, and both of those things are a social construct, right? And so I grew up, I, so you see my challenger spirit. I have a strong eight wing. I've, I'm competitive. Eight for the best. Eight for the best. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm competitive. I speak my mind. That has always yeah. naturally been a part of me since I was a child. Right. Um, and I, I remember my dad's like describing me as having masculine traits, but these are just human traits. And, there you go. There and you so go. when people ask me like, well, what is a woman? Well, it's whatever you are like finding, what does it mean to be a woman? It's not what we've told. It's not to be pretty or accommodating or submissive right. or all these other lies. I think what it is to be a woman is just to be who you are. And, and it's okay. You know, if you are a quiet woman, I empower you to be a quiet woman. I'm just saying, if you don't have a natural propensity to be something, you don't have to be that person. You don't have to live in a lie. And so um, for me, what it looks like to be a woman, I view myself as a fighter for justice, as an advocate, as Mm -hmm. um, competitive. I'm still, I didn't grow out of my competitiveness, unfortunately. I mean, sometimes it gets me into some trouble with board games. But (laughs) I'm still a competitive person. And so I have all these traits that are quote unquote masculine. They're just my traits. They're just human traits. traits. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, what does it mean to be a woman? Well, Mm. it means to be whoever you were created to be. And whether that's if you want to stay home and be a mom, go for it. If you want to go be president, go fight for that place. Because it's about time we get a woman in the office. That's right. Amen. Um, So... Yes. What does it mean to be a human is maybe the better question. Yeah, that's, that is great. And you said it so well. And again, I, I don't think we can say it enough. Mm-hmm. It's so ingrained in us. We don't even think about you throw like a girl. Mm-hmm. We don't even think about that. They say boys will be boys, which mm-hmm. is rape culture. Right. Right. We don't say it. And so I just don't think we can say it enough. And I love what you said about the opposition against your podcast. That mm-hmm. is evidence that right. this is a system created to be convenient for a certain group of people mm-hmm. and without people like you speaking out so well, it will remain the same. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, it even makes me think about like, even if we look at our justice system, um, six, no, I think it's down to five and 1000 rapists face mm-hmm. jail time. If we even go like narrow down to a specific t- case. So I'm sure many people are familiar with the Brock Turner case. Yes, um, yes. He was a Stanford swimmer who uh, raped an unconscious woman. And she wrote a book about it called Know My Name. It's by Chanel Miller and it's excellent. Mm. It's, I highly recommend it to anyone. It's good. But even the way we talk about men and women in this case is so revealing because for example both of them were drinking at the party um and for Brock they said that was an excuse for him to do what he did whereas Mm. it was Chanel's fault that she was drinking that this happened to her so they both drank but Mm -hmm. the man is supposed to get a free pass for assaulting her while the woman Mm -hmm. is responsible because she also drank which is completely bogus and then even when we talk about what happened to them people are so focused like um he was in the news because after he did this, he only got a six months and six months. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was cut in half to three months for good behavior. Oh uh, yeah. So he spent three months in, in jail. Um, but 
everyone was talking about his future, like, oh, he's so young and like, don't let this ruin his life. Like he's such a strong swimmer. And they didn't even talk about what um, Chanel's future was going to look like after she was raped while unconscious and the mental anguish that she had to go through the counseling. Like she has to carry that for the rest of her life. Every day for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. And so they're talking about his future and they don't even go, they don't even talk about his past or if they do, it's like, Oh, he's just a good guy. But they dig into Chanel's past, her sexual history and everything to try and discredit her. So again, we can even see this. And so that was best. The sad part is that's best case scenario. I gave this statistics. It's from rain, which is, Mm -hmm. um, uh, how it it fights domestic violence and rape. And I forgot exactly. I think it's their, I don't know. It's called R A and R A and N. But yeah, that's where I get the statistics. Um, five in 1,000 rapists face jail time. But on top of that, when they do face jail time, it's a slap on the wrist. But again, with Brock Turner, it's like best case scenario, right. you got three months. And so that, again, right. it's just our justice system is revealing who are we protecting here? Mm-hmm. Who, who's, who's more valuable? Um, and we can see very clearly how it plays out in our justice systems that we're clearly right. valuing men over women and the violence mm-hmm. that, man, that men might um, perpetrate is just not taken seriously. And, and that plays out in domestic violence that right. plays out, um, in so many different areas, even in our, in every system we have in the United States, our healthcare system is even crazily biased, um, yes. uh, against yes. women. Women are not believed. Mm-hmm. There are studies mm-hmm. that prove this women are seven times more likely to be sent home during a heart attack because our um, symptoms present differently. We're right. way less likely to get pain medication when we need it because we're being told we're hysterical that it's in our head not something that we're physically experiencing there's all this is all just proven by science and so for me it's like we need to address the way our our system is a patriarchy and the way women are continually hurt which is by the way half the population are continually Mm -hmm. hurt continually at risk and not being taken care of there isn't justice for them in many cases yeah, again, amen and so well said. And just the, I love the passion that's in that. And I think that goes, you know, segues into our education system mm-hmm. that we are, we don't teach about history. We teach history. We don't teach, we don't even teach history accurately. Mm-hmm. Right. right. We're still teaching about Columbus. So, right. whatever. So, <laughs> that, but really, we're not taught what women have done. Mm-hmm. So, we don't, we don't see initially on the screen in movies and whatever, you don't see a woman who is a hero or, or a shero. You don't right. see that. And, and so, like, and I think I was in graduate school when I learned about Victoria, Victoria Woodhall, who's the first woman to run for presidency, like in 1870. Mm. Like, I would love to know that in third grade. Right. Right. Like we still, when we say doctor, we think male. We say mm-hmm. teacher, we think female. Mm-hmm. Like we're still in the role. And just, I know it's a very broad question, but is anything even in the education system that you've been advocating for or you would like to see starting at a young age? Oh my gosh. I would like to see a lot of changes in the education system. Good news is I think the education system has improved a lot since I, at least from, I have friends who are teachers. And so the things that they're talking about, Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely not perfect, but a lot better than what I was taught. Um, um, But so I think there's a lot of areas. um, Okay. I'll just zoom into one um, that the education system can be improved. But one of the, the areas I think is, sexual education. Um, I don't think Mm -hmm. that 
women in general are taught about their bodies. And it's not until recently that people even started studying women's bodies, but right. not taught about, um, you know, I, at least my sex education was looking about a bunch of slides of STDs. I wasn't taught about my period or my cycle or my body parts at all. Um, mm. And so I think I would have loved to see even like tampons or different like menstrual products or things mm -hmm. that are normal, things that aren't normal. Um, and I, I don't know the best way to do that if that's like separating men from women. I don't know. Um, but I think that's one way it lacks. I think another huge way that our um, education system lacks is it's obviously very segregated. So this obviously goes to do more with classism and racism, but um Right now, our education system is set up that our public schools are funded by school uh, house prices around them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so taxes go, and so there's going to be better schools in neighborhoods that have nicer houses because they're paying more taxes to pay for those schools. But then it feeds this, um, I think, a po uh, this feedback loop where um, those houses are property values are driven up by good schools, whereas mm -hmm. bad schools, their property value goes down and down and down. And so right. we see the cycle of um, people who have money um, will have a way better educational experience than people who don't have money. And we right. even see that schools who are like, for example, I live in an area where um, I live in Athens, Georgia. Um, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of wealthy people in Athens, Georgia. It's UGA. Um, but we're also the poorest county. So there's just a lot of segregation. There's a lot of class disparities. And I, the elementary school that's like right across the street from me, our neighborhood's pretty, um, now I wouldn't say affluent, but solidly middle class. Um, but it's surrounded by um, less, I guess, less um, economically stable houses. And mm -hmm. even then our kid, the kids are still mixed, but there's proven science that um, the kids who are coming from the more affluent neighborhoods are still doing better and being put in, in special um, classes, like honors classes, where the other right. kids are not. And so I I don't have an answer. I'm not an education expert by any no, means. No, you spoke very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I do think there's things mm -hmm. we need to investigate about how it's even set up. So I'm talking so much about feminism and, and how the mm -hmm. system is is systemically rigged against females, but it's also right. systemically rigged against um, different races or people of yes. lower income. And so I think by talking about, I think the true case for feminism is realizing injustice doesn't just happen to women. It also happens to indigenous folks. It happens to black yes. folks. It happens to um, lower income people. And how can we as feminists also care for these other issues because they're mm -hmm. all intersected. They're all tied together. Um, and it's really important that we address those. And, and again, you mentioned briefly, we're just not taught about the accurate history of the United States. We're taught to celebrate right. these really terrible men. I didn't know that Columbus was so horrible until after I had graduated college and did my right. own research. Um, I didn't know that systems are so discriminatory towards women until mm -hmm. I did some research. I right. like all of these things are not taught in schools. And we, if we can't face our history, mm. if we can't face the way women and people of color and indigenous folks were oppressed, we cannot do better. And I right. am so upset that I was taught 
that America was the best country and we did nothing wrong and all the other countries were way behind us. And um, mm -hmm. then I traveled and I saw that this was not the case, that we had a lot mm. to learn from other nations who are doing things better. For example, the United States, everyone thinks it is the one of the best place for women, but we are number 54 in gender parity. 54. Really? I did not know that. Yes. I knew you would school me today. I knew it. Yeah. So we are number, I, well, that was a couple of, you, you, would ha, you should Google it again. It might be 51 mm. or it might have changed a little bit. When I last checked a couple of years ago, we were number 54 in gender parity. A wow. lot of countries in Africa where people typically think, oh, they're so bad. They're actually way ahead of us in gender parity. They have more people, mm. um, women in leadership. They have better systems to take care of women. So like, it's just crazy to me that this country, I, don't get me wrong, I love the United States and it's because yeah, I yeah. love her that I want her to be better. That's right. Because that's, I, right. that's how we become great is by right. taking care of people with compassion. But right. There's so many other nations that are, are, are doing much better. And I think that there's a lot we can learn from them. But if we mm -hmm. think we're the best and we know everything and our education system's the best, our healthcare system's the best, we can't grow and we can't be better. Just like... If I'm, you know, trying to get better as a person, if I just think I'm the best at everything and I have nothing to learn and nothing to grow in, and then I am never going to become a better person because I'm not right. acknowledging or seeing myself clearly to know the areas that I do need to improve in. And I think it's the same way with the United States. We can't pretend that we're the best at everything without fully examining mm -hmm. the ways that we can grow. If we love our country if we want our country to be all that she can be, then the best way we can love her is by being honest with ourselves in the way that we can grow. And so um, I would call myself a patriot. A lot of people wouldn't because I am critical of issues that affect people or affect women. Um, mm -hmm. But it's only because I, like I love myself, I go to therapy yeah. and try to be That's a better right. person. That's right. And because I love my country, I mm -hmm. want her to be the best she can be. Yeah, no, I think it's just beautiful. And, and you know, I even posted this yesterday, like we can't soothe, we can't change what we don't see. Mm -hmm. So if we have a school system that's teaching our history in a way that's inaccurate, mm -hmm. there's a reason why we're still teaching it inaccurately. Right. Right. There's something we're trying not to see. There's some reason, there's some mm -hmm. fear of seeing what more it could be and how differently life could be because the people who have been disempowered would be empowered. They would right. know that there's... A place for them and as you said like this is this is this is racial like mm -hmm. when we're talking about brock only getting three months mm -hmm. you know there like we we all know many no, i wouldn't say many in this area charlotte carolina there's a guy who was recently released from prison after 44 years for rape and mm -hmm. dna proved that he was innocent mm -hmm. and it was discovered that police here locally um or, this is again 44 years ago mm -hmm. had evidence he didn't do it and hid the evidence Mm -hmm. So that got revealed. So he got released. So he's a black man f doing mm -hmm. 44 years or something he didn't do. He got Brock Turner, who did three months or something he did do. Right. And, and so it's, it's, it's relevant. It is relevant. And I mean, that's so true. So uh, there's an excellent book about uh, this in this genre called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. That yes, yes. About it's brilliant. Brilliant. So many people who are yeah. black men specifically have been sent to prison for life for crimes they didn't commit, where if it's the yes. white men, there's so much more leniency. Um, mm -hmm. And so maybe when I said the rape uh, charges are so much less for, for men, I should specifically say white men. Um, but there's, there's a story, I'm from Colorado initially, and there was a cop who 
raped a handcuffed woman in his custody and he got three months and he was a cop and she was handcuffed. Yeah. So yeah. And so he was just, a, yeah. Yeah. And just sit with it, y'all. Cause it's just pay attention to your natural reaction. When you hear that, if you immediately defend it, there's something going on. Just yeah. absorb that some woman, God's child went through that. And for her to walk through her life rest, every day for the rest of her life, knowing that her everyday pain is worth three months of his inconvenience. Mm-hmm. And not only that, but there, there's often repeat, like these guys who sexually assault and rape, this is not a one-time thing. Right, this is right. a common theme in, in their lives. And so they're going to harm not, they're going to harm more women, you know, right. unless right. there's consequences. Um which mm-hmm. there aren't right now. That's right. So. We, we only do what works for us. So mm-hmm. if people get away with something, there's no, like, there's no reason for them to change, which mm-hmm. is why, you know, I think your work you're doing is so powerful. People have to stop and if they'll pause and just look and sort of defend mm-hmm. and just look at why I'm believing what I'm believing. How is this happening so much mm-hmm. that that many women are, are walking around every day now being, having the label of rape victim? without justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's so much work to be done. So how did it come from, because obviously you started educating yourself, you started realizing, mm-hmm. you know, the um, inconsistencies, disparities that are within the systems and different systems, that a podcast became a way for you to have a voice. How did you pick a podcast? Um, I think I chose a podcast. So I used to be a blogger. Um, and I, I wanted, I felt as a blogger, I was educating myself, which was fine, but I wanted to reach out and hear from the, these experts, um, that I admired. And so it started like with people I knew and I was like, this will be an excellent excuse to get them on the phone for an hour to yeah, talk to me yeah, about right, what they've right. learned. Um, and so that, that was one way. And one way was I was getting really into podcasts because um, I really enjoyed listening to podcasts and educating myself mm. when I go for a run, when I garden, when I clean. Mm. Um, and obviously if you're reading a blog, you're going to have to be sitting down and that's all you're going to be doing. And so I wanted mm-hmm. a way to make it more accessible to a lot of women. I mean, even here we're in the middle of a pandemic and so many studies showing that women are more busy than ever. They're juggling children yeah, who, yeah. Um, are, are working from home and trying to manage that on top of their careers, mm-hmm. on top of keeping the house clean. And that's another form of injustice um, yes, because yes, yes. I, there's just a, a quote out there and I'm going to butcher it, but um, I don't remember who said it, but they, the quote is basically women will never have full equality until men um, have share in household responsibilities. And I think that's so true because women are expected now. Okay. So now we, you know, we're allowed to do more, Mm -hmm. um, but we still have all of these responsibilities that the weight isn't being carried equally by partners. And it should be, um, and we even see that with like, man, I could seriously go on, on all day about injustice against women, but let's, oh. let's, look, at, let's look at our maternity um, laws, our paid leave. Yes. We are the only wealthy nation. Um, and one of the, it wasn't every country in the world that was asked, but there's only three countries that when asked or that they have statistic for that don't have paid maternity leave by law. We're one of them. And we are the mm. only wealthy country that does not require paid maternal leave that. 
and immediately shows you the value that is placed on women and mm-hmm. um, how we work and the fact that even our children aren't being valued. All of these, you know, there's such a p- push for like pro-life people, but mm-hmm. yet when you, like it's completely legal, um, you know, for a woman not to be paid after she has mm-hmm. a child. Right. I think it's 40% of women go back to work within Okay, I need it. I, I don't have them right in front of my face. So I might get this wrong. I think it's 40% of women either go back to work within six weeks of having a child, or it might be even as low as two weeks. I don't remember because there's, um, they don't have a choice. They don't go back right. to work. They don't get paid. They can't, right. they can't even, you know, and it's shown mm-hmm. that the science shows that like a child needs that their mom, they need that bonding. They mm-hmm. both need that bonding. Mm-hmm. And yet, the way our government is set up is we're not going to protect that. Some, um, a lot of companies do offer paid maternal leave and that's great, but that's not a law and you can totally get around with not doing it. And even then we look at, for example, um, a nation that there's several nations, basically the Scandinavian ones are doing a lot better when it comes to gender parity than we are, but Mm. they have, um, I think one year or maybe it's like uh, 16 months of paid maternal and paternity leave. And so I think you get a year for the mom and at least six months that only the father can use. And again, I think that brings wow. the back, like this is a partnership. This isn't right. just on one partner to raise a child. Like we need right. both men and women in the home and in society. It's not, it shouldn't mm-hmm. be uneven anywhere. And so that's another way that, um, I think we could do better. And I don't even know what question you asked me. So I just started talking. I don't remember. Who knows? But okay. I'm going to piggyback that because I've got um, some friends and they're married. And she's a teacher. Yeah. We all know. It's one of the few occupations you're allowed to have as a woman mm-hmm. and be respected. So in this in the system here where I live in Charlotte, she gets two to four weeks for maternity. Mm-hmm. Her husband is an IT, works for a corporation. He gets three months. Wow. For paternity leave. So she's a yeah. teacher. So we know it's going to be a majority of women. Right. But so they don't have people to fill in. So they're going to only give her a short period of time, even though it's a system that's supposed to value children, but not the teacher with her own child. Right. Which reminds me of my best friend. She works in the foster care system and she has to earn her maternity leave. So um, oh, I'm yeah. about to have convulsion. I'm she about to have a convulsion. Fo- yeah. The foster care system. Mm. Okay. Which isn't this about valuing children, especially at risk yes. children? But she, if she was to get pregnant right now, uh, she would have because she started that job fairly recently. She would have a week of paid leave because she hadn't earned it yet. Like, yeah. come on, guys! Like that. Yeah, that's right. really un- that's that's very messed up. And and so many people talk about. Um, you know, they're very against abortion, but they don't mm-hmm. realize all these contributing factors that makes it really hard for, for like my friend, she would be okay because she has enough savings. She has a partner that supports right. her, but what if she didn't, what if it was just her and she right. was a single mom, she hasn't earned her, her, mm-hmm. her maternity leave yet. And so yeah. she literally has no way to feed her child. Do you think right. that's going to affect whether or not she has the decision to keep the child or not? Like there's yeah. so many factors that go right. into, or like birth control, like for example, birth control is the biggest um, reducer of abortion, obviously, because right. women don't want to be pregnant. So if they don't want to be pregnant, then they don't get pregnant. But then you have, like, for example, Trump just passed this thing 
where um, under Obamacare, it was required that all employers pay cover um, birth control. And now under Trump, he just, I think it was a couple of months ago, passed an exemption where they don't have to cover birth control. And so like, if we really value, if we really want abortion numbers to go down, you really need to value and take care of mothers. And right. mothers are just so demonized in this, this right. solution. And even in our adoption system, like if you think of our adoption system, uh, prospective parents are so praised for, for adopting mm. children Yet the mother is so demonized. But again, we have a system that doesn't help her. And these people raise, um, I mean, actually, if you adopt through foster care, it's free. But a lot of people don't want these kids that have issues or quote unquote issues. And so they want a fresh new baby. And Mm -hmm. then that fresh new baby has to go through an agency and you're, you're raising you know, $50,000. Well, what if we gave that $50,000 to that mother so she could keep her child instead right. of inflicting trauma on both the mother and the child to be separated? And so Absolutely. there's just so many ways that I feel like we're not, we're not valuing um, women in society. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of demonization of their choices um, mm-hmm. and a lot of control over what they do and and that's just another I think facet of it well yeah and, and, and to even with that you have to be a certain age before they will procedurally allow you to not have children like you can't be 20 years old and go to a doctor and say I decided not to have children yeah like you're, there's discrimination against that right or they ask for um, uh, your husband's permission. Yeah. If you're a married woman, you have to get him to sign a thing. And you're like, wait a second, this is my way. I think I get to choose right. whether or not body. I bear more children. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's really, it's sad. There's a lot of, lot mm-hmm. of control and there's, and there's a lot of studies about domestic violence, about um, reproductive coercion. So I just interviewed a woman who studies black uh, or domestic violence specifically in the black community. And she talks a lot about reproductive coercion where um, men will um, take off the condom during sex or they'll hide their birth control or take a pill away. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that's another way of trying to control woman by mm-hmm. having her tied to him because right. if she bears a children, a child through him, then she's kind of stuck with him, whether or not she wants to be. And so right. again, there's just like so many different facets of this, but again, women, um, are trying like they there's people want to control women and right um, that's reflective in a lot of areas of our society. Yeah, and the the pain that comes with that, and that is why to even say pro life or pro choice, and not to get controversial, mm-hmm. but it's a hard the right label is not there because right. you're dealing with you're not giving women the right to have that their bodies their body decide mm-hmm. I don't I want to do something surgically to not have children unless you're certain age, if you're 40 mm-hmm. years old, then you're allowed to do that. Right. Like what, you know, and again, it goes back from what, how you started this, this podcast is from the get-go, we're told our body is not ours. Mm-hmm. Even being told, go, go hug your Uncle Donnie. Right. Like there's so much that starts happening that your body is not your own. And mm-hmm. then we have laws in the healthcare system and legal systems that agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that yeah. is why you're speaking out and people mm-hmm. get upset that mm-hmm. you're speaking truth. Yeah. So what's your, I know your message is for everyone, mm-hmm. but if, if men could hear anything from you about 
being a woman, if they could really hear you, I know this is about part of your book title is Reclaiming Our Voice. Mm-hmm. What would be the message? What would you say? I mean, there's so much I would want to say. I feel like because a lot of men um, uh, can be defensive to what I'm saying, mm-hmm. I'd ask them to pause for a moment and realize that because I'm calling out injustice, this does not mean I'm hating. I hate you. It does not make me a man-hating feminist. Right, um, right. I'm asking you to listen to the injustice that half the planet experiences the mm-hmm. pain that many of us go through, uh, the fact that we're constantly at risk of at least sexual harassment. I'd say yeah. mm, maybe 15% of the time I go on a run by myself, I get cat called. Got mm. cat called yesterday on my run, mm. um, which again, like, oh, what's the big deal? Well, <laughs> I have faced cat calls. I've called it out and I've actually put myself, I shouldn't say I put myself in danger. I was in danger. I've been followed. Mm-hmm. I've been stalked. Um, mm. So yeah, this, even a cat call is more about ownership. Your body is a sexual object to me. Right. It's not a compliment. Um, right. But women every day, whether it's in our professional lives or our private lives, we are being discriminated against. We are being harmed. Mm-hmm. And I just want you to realize that when I call that out, it's not because I'm hating you. It's because I'm asking you to do better. I'm married to a man. I'm married to a very good man. Yeah. Uh, he listens to me. And so I'm asking yeah. you to pause, put down your fence- mm-hmm. defenses and listen and, and ask you to be an ally, um, to speak up and use your voice. If one third of women are sexually or physically assaulted mm-hmm. in their lifetimes, one third mm-hmm. It's probably higher than that because reporting that stuff takes a lot of courage. Yep. If that's the statistic, how many men, and we don't have the statistic because we don't ask about men. We ask about women Mm. because it's their fault. How many men would you guess sexually Mm -hmm. assault or um, physically assault women? And it could be one in three. It could be one in four. It could be maybe one in 10 Regardless, that's a high number of men that are harming women. And so I'm asking you, when you hear language that is diminishing to women, when you hear you throw like a girl, you're a sissy, you're a whatever. Right. I'm asking you to call that out. When you see someone cat call someone, come to that defense. Um, There's there's just so many things you can do. You have, naturally, men are going to take men more seriously than women. So I'm asking you to Mm -hmm. use your voice. Um, and I'm thanking you for being willing to listen to my story or to other women's stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe um, ask a friend, a girlfriend, a sister, hey, tell me what it's like to be a woman. Do you feel yeah. safe? Yeah. Do you feel heard? Do right. you feel valued? Ask her honestly and be prepared right. for the, the answers that she has to say. And finally, if you are realizing some things that might be problematic, maybe something harm that you've caused, I'd really encourage you to apologize to that that woman mm-hmm. and make amends. You have no idea how much it means to me mm-hmm. when someone apologizes, when a man apologizes to me. And there's actually a study uh, that shows that women um, are f- far more likely to have less like issues like depression or su- suicidal ideation or all these other things if their rapist apologizes. And I'm not saying the men mm-hmm. listening to this are rapists. I'm just saying there mm-hmm. is a profound impact on women being validated 
and mm-hmm. for an apology. And so an apology goes a really long way. And thank you for listening <laughs> to me yeah. because um, I think there's a lot of men who are too defensive to to hear what I'm saying. Yeah, it's absolute truth. And it's mm-hmm. so, so true. And I saw on Facebook recently that how interesting it is that every woman knows another woman who's been sexually assaulted, mm-hmm. raped, ser- sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. We all know someone, but men don't know any men who are rapist mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. inappropriate sexually. But right. All, all us women know. Mm-hmm. So it's a little inconsistent on that. Okay, so yeah. I, um, I'm i a big fan of Brene Brown. Mm, me too. Brene Brown and I say a lot of the same things, but she says it better, and she's based on research, and she got on Oprah. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I am stealing something from her on her okay. podcast. She'll, she'll do what she calls rapid fire, and I'm going to mm-hmm. call it the hot seat. Okay. So I'm going to ask you, um, some questions and just real concise, just what comes to mind first. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. You're in the hot seat. If you look at your childhood, compare it to your adult life now, what is the most surprising thing? Uh, that that young girl learned to be comfortable and gain courage, I guess. Yeah, that's good. That's courage. That's good. I like it. All right. What does your playlist reveal about you? I, my playlist reveals about me that I'm really bad at making playlists and I steal <laughs> my friends' playlists. So maybe that I value my friends' taste. Do you value your friends? That's good. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I like that. All right. What's your favorite word? Probably courage. Yeah. You're very courageous. Um, what's a binge worthy show? <sighs> Great British Bake Off. <laughs> That's great. I love it. <laughs> All right. Favorite movie? Favorite movie. Um, ah, that's hard. But I'm going to say Pride and Prejudice. It's always been a favorite of mine. The, All right. That's good. Yeah. yeah. It's perfect for what you're doing. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So if you got a tattoo at the age of 18 mm-hmm. that you would now look at and, and have to go get lasered, have to go get removed, what would that tattoo be? Oh gosh! It probably—I don't know what it would have been. It'd probably be like a lower back tattoo. Those were all right. the rage when I was eighteen. So. Right. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. It's also right. And the last one. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is this is fill in the blank. What comes to mind first? So for now on, when you hear "flip your lid," what's going to come to mind? Definitely this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I was familiar with the phrase before you. So. Definitely See? This. See, I brought something. You brought something to my life. Yeah. I brought something to your life. See, it's mutual. That's what happens. Go eights. Mm-hmm. Eights are the best. All right. <laughs> thank you. So I know people are going to want to check you out. And I just want to say again that the, her title of her book, I think it's coming out in March, mm-hmm. is Women Rising, Learn mm-hmm. to Listen, Reclaiming Our Voice. The podcast is Faith and Feminism. You can find that where you find all the good podcasts. And anything else you want to throw out there, your Facebook page for um, – Feminism, anything you want to throw yeah. out there so people can contact you. Well, if you are looking, if, if you're like, oh, I heard this and it makes me feel less alone, I really inter- encourage you to check out the Facebook group. It's just Google Faith and Feminism and or put it in your Facebook bar. Um, I hate Facebook aside from my group, so you won't find me posting a lot there. Um, but I do love Instagram. So if you just do my first and last name um, and send me a DM, I'll probably respond to you. 
I will respond to you. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why and I, probably I'm not that big. <laughs> I appreciate you responding to me. I know you don't yeah. know who I am or how amazing I am or how cool I am. And yet, <laughs> and yet you said yes. So I appreciate yeah. that so much. All right, everybody. Thank y'all for being a part of Flip Your Lid. I truly hope you heard something today that flipped your lid and let you reconnect to be who God really says that you are. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.